Unme is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, my name is Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and apparently now a basement dweller. I'm sitting in my quote-unquote studio. To call it a studio really gives it a lot. If you uh, if you could see the unfinished basement, I'm going to try and work on it a little bit this weekend to make it slightly more presentable. But So I'm a basement dweller. And I have a guest with me today. It's really cool. I've met him once before uh, at the original Voice of Dentistry meeting. He just reminded me of that. But we've been going back and forth on uh, private message on Facebook for a while. Uh, with me is Dr. Alex Sharp. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really glad that you contacted me. This is a recently I released an episode with another Alex, Dr. Alex Salen, and she um, she's a relatively new dentist, and we talked about kind of some of the struggles that she's run into as an employee. And Alex, this Alex, Alex Sharp said, you know what, we should talk about something else because he's a recently a recent practice owner. So you and I have a lot to talk about there because I, I dove into practice ownership quite early too. But first, tell me tell me a little bit about you, Alex. Where are you from? I am from the suburb of Little Rock, Arkansas, and I went to dental school at UT Memphis. I was actually in Sully's class. Okay. Uh, I know you know Sully. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, I started out uh, in private practice uh, as an associate a private practice associate. I never did the corporate thing. And so first job out of school, it was trial by fire, really. It was um, high volume, lots of Medicaid. And so uh, that was a great way to get speed up and get uh, get comfortable with doing a lot of different procedures. But I learned some some not so good habits as well. So Yeah, we should uh, talk about that. So you, when did you graduate from dental school? 2015. 2015, okay. And um, you actually, I want before we dive into too much. I want to, I got because there's, I'm sort of a podcaster at heart. It's it's funny thing too. I, I I used to listen to podcasts. Now everyone looks to me like, hey, he's a big podcast guy. I'm like, I've only really been doing it for like four years. It's not like I mean, I love it, and I and it is definitely a huge part of my life. But uh, podcasting has been around for so much longer than me. But it's funny, you were literally telling me the story of how you got into dental podcasts. and it, So you came to Voice of Dentistry not having heard any podcasts. Is that right? The original Correct. one in, in Tennessee. Yes, yeah. I went, I went there on a whim because one of my buddies from school, Jeff, uh, is a big podcast nerd. And he, he was he's a big fan of yours, a big fan of uh, Dr. Dave. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he just said, hey, you want to go to Nashville to a podcast meeting? I was like, sure, what's a podcast? And so <laughs> I and love that. Went, I absolutely yeah, love that. Yeah, so I went and, and I was enamored of mostly the content that you guys were talking about because that I think everyone got a little bit of a different take-home message out of that original Voices of Dentistry. But for me, it was get your butt into ownership ASAP. Because like you, uh, Mark Costas, Dr. Dave, I mean, everybody had some type of common thread to me, which was we're, we're doing this because we're not just because we're entrepreneurial, but because we can control our own destiny a little bit more effectively um, as, a, as a practice owner rather than as, as an employee. I completely that agree was- with that. What's really funny is when I – first off, uh, Dr. Dave Maloli, I, I was put off by him when I first met him because he seemed – too nice to be real. Mm-hmm. I'm like no mm-hmm. one's no one's really that kind and really that cool. 
Right. <laughs> so, sorry, Dave. That's my fault. I apparently the world has made me just cynical enough to not believe that you're actually the person that you are. So there you go, Dave. Yeah, it, it, it could come off so inauthentic I, <laughs> because I've not... run into people that act like that, and they're almost always right. in that he's the real deal, and his wife is even nicer for crying out. It's so funny. And again, all this comes to me from you know actually getting to meet these people at you know at at the Voice of Dentistry or at the you know, and now I'm working with him at the Dental Success Network, and he's even he's just he's the real deal. Uh, Which Mark, that's phenomenal, Mark, is by the, the way. Mark is the same way. Mark Costas is the exact same way. You're like, no one can really be like this. He's like, he totally <laughs> is, 100%. Um, but those guys are owners because they're entrepreneurs. I think right. I'm an owner because I wanted to be able to pick what composite I used. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'd love to tell you it's because I have an entrepreneurial spirit. No, not really. No, I really just wanted to be able to buy fancy hand pieces and not have anyone tell me I couldn't. You know, that was pretty much it. Well, and also too, like listening to your story about your your practice and your the, the way you run things. I mean, I relate a whole lot to that, which is just simply you poorly. The, <laughs> how it's run well, poorly? No, yeah, no. I just mean like being able to control your own destiny without having to feel like you have to meet a quota, do mm-hmm. things your way, mm-hmm. to where you're not going to stress yourself out day in day out. Like just have having that control can be liberating. It is. The, it at, is at the same time. I mean, and in sometimes when everything else is not going well. Being able to fall back to that, being able to fall back to, well, you know what, this working or not working has everything to do with me. And not so much that, that I have incredible skill, but the choices that I've made are, 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 are what's affecting this. And so when I go into this practice and I go, man, you know, okay, sometimes patients don't do what I think that they should do. Sometimes patients, but, but, but overwhelmingly in my practice, these people feel almost like family to me. Mm-hmm. That's good and bad, by the way. There's days I'd love right. to have people that I just can barely even stand to be around, and you know, but doing the right thing. But in any case, like I've built that intentionally, or or maybe not so intentionally, but that is it's true. It, it comes down to you, I guess. What you're saying is, that yeah, sink it, or swim, it has to do with you. Yeah, it begins and ends with you. And several of my friends that have not made that foray into practice ownership, they've asked me like, "Hey." How would you describe it? And and for me, I just say that it's more. It's more everything. There, there's there's more to it. You're constantly thinking about solving some type of problem. You there's no. I mean, maybe you get to this point at, uh, down the road, but for me, there's no punching out the time card at at five o'clock. Oh my gosh! Saying, yeah, no, sign no, no, like, There's always like right now. I'm, I'm I've got a, a hygienist that's going to be moving to St. Louis in two weeks that I found out about yesterday. So. Oh. I mean, there, there's always there's always a problem to unravel. There is, there is, and and the other thing is is that if you're like me, you didn't have training in a lot of what your work is. In other words, sure. management of a of an actual business, I had zero training in that. And and literally, it wasn't that I couldn't have gotten training. I I didn't have the foresight to look into that for one. Mm-hmm. I mean, when my dad ran a, a an office, and I was planning on going in with him. It was always going to be that. He didn't tell me to even look at any of that stuff either, it, you know, because he didn't have any training in that. So he, both of us are, um, we're not good at that, and 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 we could get better. Let's be honest, we could get better if we we chose to be. I've gotten better, but like I didn't know that that would be helpful. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying, I didn't I didn't realize at the time how helpful it would be to actually have that kind of background. And well, true, because in dental school they teach you to they they give you sort of this. How can I say it? They give you this narrative of what it's like to be a dentist, you know, what it's what it's going to be like on a regular basis. And it's not not accurate. You know, like it's if you're owning a practice, there's so much more to it than just seeing patients, diagnosing disease and and treating it like it's not it's not like you're just the doctor when you're an owner. 
you're the doctor, you're, you know, the HR person, you know, you're the, uh, you might be shoveling snow. You might, you might be, you might be, you know, negotiating leases. And of course, all these things you can get help with, but you don't realize how much more there is to it than that. Would you, would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, and you, it's akin to having to learn to swim by jumping into the deep end of yeah, the pool. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no training wheels for it. You're, you're either in it or you're not in it. And I, th- and going back to, you feeling like your your dad didn't even tell you quite what to expect. I think it's because once you get in it, you become so inundated by it that you forget that there was any other way to exist. Yep. So that you you think it's it's second nature to everybody to say, oh, I have to constantly be collating like my my to do list and thinking about what what <laughs> so can I true. be what 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 can I be. Uh, making a dent in today, what can wait? What's what's priority? I mean, you 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 get used to structuring your life that way. So and I'm I'm two months in right now. Two months. And, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so right now, I mean, my the, the last two months have gone by so quickly. It feels like it's been a week, but it's been two months just because it's it's a constant level of of engagement that that I've had to have. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my my story super short because I want to dig into yeah. yours. But I graduated from dental school in 1997. I worked for my dad for a year. Um, I got my license in September of 1997. Like the same weekend that I got my license, I went and to my very first continuing education event because I I had to stay stay after. I, I was a super senior. I had to I had to finish through the summer. So basically, uh, I got home, applied for my license. It took a while for it to come, so I was like helping dad put his ethernet network in crawling around under the, under oh, wow. the basement and stuff, that sort of thing. <laughs> while, while, while I was waiting for my license. Then I went to my very first CE event, which was Frank Spear doing, um, uh, facially generated treatment planning. And so oh, I thought, that, I thought, wow, I, I didn't realize that, that that's what I was supposed to be doing. And it, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like talk about, talk about the deep end of the pool anyhow. So, but for that first year I worked with dad and, and, and I did, I got, I, I got some speed up, I got some skill sets and then realized it was just slower than I wanted to be. I wanted to have more patience. There were a lot of other poor choices I made along that way that, that helped me go into ownership. But basically a practice came up that was, that was going to end up being for sale. It was a distress sale. I, I got a practice for relatively cheap and literally the from the first day knew nothing i didn't know what i was doing i didn't know what needed to be done to run a practice and so i had some decent people around me that like basically my accountant held my hand through a lot of the first i mean basically where you are now we're like oh yeah that's right i got to pay this i got to pay this quarterly tax i got to mm-hmm. i got to do payroll taxes i got to do all this stuff things i didn't even like like it's not even hard stuff it's just stuff that needs to be done that you didn't i didn't know that needed to be done so right in any case, that's so. I started literally. It was within a year of graduation that I had bought a practice. You that's you hard. had a, you had a couple years. It sounds like in an associateship before you came into your practice. So give give me the background. Give me the story. Yeah. So I had one job right out of school that I had that I started with right after graduation. Like three days after graduation, I, I started working um, for a, a large uh, private single owner private office. Uh, in, a, in a neighboring town, and I, I knew that that wasn't going to be a long-term thing because I had asked the owner, like, "Hey, what, what's the ownership potential with this?" And he said, zero. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew that it was going to be basically a, um, a a way to hone my skills and get comfortable with with the hard skills, the soft skills, and 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 get the speed up, get the confidence up, and and I did that. So I stayed there for two years. It was a good it's experience. It's actually probably good though that there was never. A, I will tell you that 
you've probably heard of associateships where where the it was not nearly so well uh, explained that it was not mm-hmm. a chance for ownership, right? Oh, like yeah. it's, it, ni- it's nice that that was that at least you knew that it wasn't. There was no expectation that you that had been mm-hmm. blown for you. No, it was it was well delineated from from the start, and so once that dried up, I found another associateship where on the front end I said, "Hey, I'm I'm in the in the midst of of looking for a practice to buy, so this this is not going to be a long term thing for me." So didn't sign a contract or anything, and I just worked there until uh, this opportunity came along. And I'm I'm a big disciple of the the shared practices podcast sure. with uh, Richard Lowe and yeah. George Hariri. And so I did a lot of their methodology where you send out mailers to retiring dentists. Basically, you you, you go on the, the database of the, the state dental board and you look at uh, how old the dentists are by alphabet. And then you send out mailers to dentists of retiring age. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sent out probably 250, 300 handwritten It's like notes. being your own re- your own broker, like reverse style. Yeah, I, I kind of exactly. love that. Actually, that's a yeah, brilliant idea. I think George termed it the the off market approach, where yeah. you're not beholden to just the practices that are for sale. You're trying to catch people before they, right, just, yeah, when when they're right. still thinking about putting it up. That's a great plan. That's a great plan. Yeah. So so you you are essentially the the impetus for someone saying, okay, maybe maybe it's time to consider retirement. So I did that, and then ironically. After all that effort, none of those panned out, and I just got a phone call from my family dentist from growing up, and he said, hey, do you want to buy my practice? And then this ended up being the one that cash flowed the best and was right where we wanted to be, so the rest is history. That's really cool. So yeah. explain to me how how, uh, how podcasts uh, influenced you then. That's okay, it sounds, so, sounds like sounds like there's a big there's a big deal in in deciding to become a practice owner from well, from the yeah. information you could get from podcasts. Yeah, so podcasts I think are are uniquely powerful in that it's a it's a free medium to be able to uh, to to learn to experience and to to get different vantage points than you would otherwise get because there's there's some to me there's something lost in translation. Reading message boards. Message boards are great, uh, but I think when you're hearing impossible to read tone on exactly Facebook, they're, they're, on Dental Town, all that stuff. There's there's been a lot of I don't want to say problems, but there's been a lot of confusion in my life right. from people that I read it a way that they didn't mean it. Well, at, at best, you could say that it's tonally ambiguous to to read uh, message boards, yeah. and so I think. I think uh, with podcasts, you're able to to get better context. You're able to set up set up a story, set up a lesson. You can you can experience it on your drive to work while you're working out, what have you. But to me, I mean, going to that Voices of Dentistry meeting, it was seriously like it, it lit a fire under my butt immediately. Where I just thought, okay, this this is what I need to focus on. So from from that. Late January. Oh, I'm really, I'm weekend. really glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear yeah. that because you know what's, what's really funny is I, for me, obviously as one of the one of the planners of the meeting, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't know that that was happening. And the other thing is, since I'm a, <laughs> I mean, I've owned a practice for 20 years, mm-hmm. um, I don't think about it from the fact that oh my gosh, the sooner you get into ownership, probably the if 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 you want to be an owner, 
sooner is better if you can swing it. I mean, in, in the, because you you come the earlier you can, it's like learning implants early, right? Like the, yes. the earlier yes. you can learn implants, if you if you decide you're going to be an implant dentist, the earlier you learn it, the more that education can can benefit and compound you over a career. Similarly, I think to owning a practice. So I didn't even realize it was happening. I'm so glad that to say that, yeah. that that my meeting helped you that way. I love that. Oh, it 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 is the reason that I own a practice right now because I was content to do the associate thing because the the dental school Kool-Aid that you're force-fed mm-hmm. is that it's it's risky to own a practice. It's unpredictable to own a practice. You need to get a job, you need to pay off debt, you need to save money. But the problem is all of those options to me are mutually exclusive where you can't you can't work a job, pay down debt, and save money at the same time without owning a practice, to me, unless you find one of these unicorn associateships in rural Nebraska or something where you're you're the only dentist for two counties yeah, over. And, yeah, Because otherwise, owning a practice is the only way, to me, to predictably make it as a dentist now because of the levels of saturation, the the lowering insurance reimbursements. I mean, it's still a great time to be a dentist. I'm still glad I did it, but owning the right practice is is the key for me. And and the problem is it's it's a seller's market right now for practices where there's more there's more people looking to buy a practice than there are quality practices for sale. Yeah, I mean, and regionally I think that probably depends, but I think that you're right. I think what's mm-hmm. what's interesting though is that do you don't you feel like dentists your age are okay like compared to maybe 20 years ago when I was looking mm-hmm. at a practice don't you mm-hmm. feel like there's less people like don't you feel like the the option of practice purchase has been really poo-pooed to your generation oh, completely and you have to look past that programming where uh, i mean thinking about it probably 10 people, maybe 15 out of my dental school class own a practice right now. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is either still in residency or working as an employee or doing the military. And so it's, it's far from the norm to, to own a practice three years out of school. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's an exception to the rule. And I I think it, it does get stigmatized in dental school, and I don't know what what the root cause of that is. Whether it's the the unsuccessful practice owners that that tend to migrate to being in education, or if it's some of the the propaganda from insurance companies to to want worker bee dentists. I don't know what it is, but there there's some kind of some kind of alchemy that that spins out that type of that type of mindset in the graduating dentists. I, it makes me sad, but but part of it, I mean, and I know I know um, both Richard and George get driven crazy when people like me talk about it. But I mean, like like the debt is a thing. So it is. And, and 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 their point is, yep, the debt is the debt is the that's your ticket, that's your admission ticket. Okay, mm-hmm. and so we can't do anything about that. We have to look past that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to know, like, did how did did you come out of dental school with with a typical amount of debt? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So high two hundreds. Sure. Which is which which debt, isn't yeah. nothing, but it's also like it's also less significantly less than some I've heard. Then the right. question is, how did that? This is a, this is like the question, right? How did that amount of debt affect you being able to get into a practice? Like what what not things? It, it, it's not. How can you say not at all? I mean, the banks know it's there, but you're saying mm-hmm. that your, your point is that. It didn't affect the the choices that you were able to make with regard to getting financing for a practice. 
No, I think with financing, you can you can find a lender to fit your needs. I mean, you have your cookie cutter dental lenders out there like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and then you have your local options where if you have a relationship with a local banker, they know you for who you are and for what you stand for just based on the networking you've done with them. And so like I got a, a, a loan for this practice fairly easily with pretty good terms just by virtue of the fact that that I had I had networked fairly effectively and I was able to get get that loan with without much headache. I mean the the thing is if you have a knowledgeable lender, they understand that what exactly what you said, Alan, where you said that the the student loan debt is basically the the cost of admission. It's the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. And so they, they understand that, that that's going to be a, a given for, for any young dentist out there. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. Now I, I will it's funny that you say that because I have um, uh, every loan I've gotten, uh, maybe every every real estate loan I've gotten, my practice loan, uh, uh, almost every loan I've gotten since I got out of dental school has come from the mm-hmm. same bank. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a local bank here. I'm happy to drop names. Chemical Bank and Trust. Chemical Bank is I, – I live in Midland, Michigan, which is the world headquarters of Dow Chemical. So it's called Chemical Bank. It was, it's was it been around for a long time, but it is the classic local – it's a regional bank. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. and I think it might be – it might have been purchased by a bigger bank recently. But to the – if it was, the way that they treat me hasn't changed at all. Like basically, I always have a guy. I, I just pick up the phone or actually I email him and mm-hmm. and and – have gotten stuff ironed out with that. I'm not the greatest businessman in the world. Lots of people say, Oh, you need to try lots of different banks, but I will tell you that, um, they've been, the local guys have always been competitive when I've, when I've compared them or, or, or I'll tell them what I'm looking at in other banks and they just make sure that it's pretty, you know, competitive, but also the ease with which they've made things happen for me has been like, that's probably priceless. I would say, and, yes. and like I said, I, I highly recommend having a local bank that's on your side if you can make that happen, if you yes. can make that happen. So so you are you working with a local bank with yours or not necessarily? Yes. Yeah, it's a local bank. And to me, that was the key to getting the financing done because for me, the, the previous owner of the practice, he called me two days before Thanksgiving and then we were signing papers uh, January 10th. So we, we got this thing done quickly. He yeah. wanted to be – he wanted to be – rid of it and so ordinarily that would that that sounds like there's a lot of red flags there mm-hmm. and so I, I did my due diligence i had the the dental specific cpa dental specific uh lawyer looking over everything but the, the fact that we were able to have such a quick turnaround time was largely due to the the relationship with that local bank to be able to to, to be able to make that happen on the the seller's time frame mm-hmm well, and a lot of times the banks understand that because they actually either know the seller or they 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 know of the seller. The local mm-hmm. bank has their they know what's going on. You know, they know what's right. going on in the community. And and sometimes sellers want to get rid of it for some specific reasons which are mm-hmm. which are are not they they don't really play into the actual business aspect of of mm-hmm. why it happens, but you know, like the classic thing is like uh something something has happened to a family member of that person. They really want to make this transition. They find a good person to sell the practice to this bank. Right. understand like, like there's something about the local bank that for me, that, that has been very useful that way. It's, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Like when I, I bought my practice for, I don't know if you heard this, but I bought my practice for $87,500. 
<laughs> so, 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 I mean, it, it, and, um, uh, the original, I, I, that was halfway between my low ball offer of $75,000 and his original asking price of a hundred thousand dollars because the guy that I bought my practice from left, he left and like, like called one morning and said, well, I'm not coming in anymore. I'm done. Um, which is not, you know, probably the strategy I would recommend for any, any seller. So he was, it was a distress sale to start with, but I, but they brought me in originally to be an associate just to, just to do some dentistry and keep, keep the doors open, you know, uh, and, and when I came in to do that, we had, he had said, okay, I'm, if it works out this way, I'm going to ask $100,000. And then basically I worked in it for a couple months and then lowballed him, which was a rotten thing to do, to be frank. But, um, yeah, so I bought my practice for next to nothing. But it was, but at the time, it still was something. Right. And, no, and my and student so- loans, my total student loans were $84,000 too. So, mm-hmm. which, again, that's that's nothing compared to what a lot of people have now. But, at you know, having no experience being a dentist and having never made a buck from dentistry until, you know, 1997, it was, it was one of those things where it was still a lot of money to me. It was still, it was still a huge jump to me. But I look at that and I go, it's not as huge of a jump as it was for you. But what I love is the fact that you had, you actually knew what you were getting into. I had no idea what I was getting into. I was like, okay, let's do this. So, well, I think with, with your situation, it, it's more of a, I don't know, like that, I think that situation happens a little more frequently because an opportunity comes up and it seems like the right thing to do and it, and it worked out for you because it was a low cost of entry mm-hmm. to get into it so you had a relatively low amount of risk yeah my and my the, local the bank my local bank uh okay so they knew my dad had been working with them forever they allowed me to get that loan they were going to have him co-sign on the loan originally because of course i had no track record of being able to run a dental practice or something like that Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were going to have him co-sign, and then and then at the end they said, you know what, you don't have to co-sign. We're willing. So they took the risk on me, and it, of course it worked out pretty well. But but also like, I you know I paid my practice off in no time because it didn't mm-hmm. cost anything, and so right. I've I've had this huge advantage. I feel like I feel like I've got this crazy privilege on on a lot of owners because my my I know people have been working in their own practice for 15, 20 years that haven't paid their practice off yet. They still have a nut from the practice. And I like, I haven't even thought about that for 10 plus years, probably. So, right, it, so it's a, it was a great move for me that I didn't even know was a great move at the time. That's the crazy thing. Like, that's why well, I, I should be raving more and more about getting into ownership early, but, but it's mostly because I stumbled into it. I didn't even know. I didn't know what a great deal I was getting into. It's crazy. Well, the to, to me, situations like yours where you find the distressed practice, those are feast or famine because if they're failing due to uh, a poorly run practice, yep. but they're but they're in a good location and have a decent pace, patient base, then that's a steal. That's what you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you find a distressed practice like several that I looked at, where the the area was saturated with dentists, it was in a piss poor location. And there, there were several intangibles about it that you just could not rectify. Then there's no price that's low enough to justify buying a bad practice. No, that's right. That's right. That's that's the key because that was a question I asked uh, Jonathan Van Horn early on: was is there such a thing as getting if a if a bad practice sells for a cheap enough price? Is there is there a tipping point there to where it suddenly becomes a good deal? And he said no. You if if it's a bad practice. If if they give it to you, it's not good because then you're sacrificing the ability to to profit off of a good practice. They, if you pay a little bit more for it, it's still a better deal than getting something 
terrible, rotten for free. It is, it's, when you think about it, it's actually getting a practice that's that's got those negatives to it. Mm-hmm. It's almost worse than like starting up in a hole. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, because like exactly. here's the one thing that I will say about my practice, and you can weigh in on this. Uh, we, you, you, you mentioned bad habits a little bit, and and uh, earlier, and for one thing, I learned some of the bad habits that from my dad. I, I look at they're not necessarily bad habits, but they're 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 things. That, for instance, he always was running multiple chairs at a time constantly. Mm-hmm. He had a bunch of assistants. He was running back and forth chair to chair, and so I thought that's what dentistry was. And that's for a lot of people. That's that's a fine fit. That's not a good fit for me. But I didn't know that because that's all I that's all I ever saw with him is running. You know, he'd run right. he'd run four chairs so full of patients it'd make my head spin. He was one of those <laughs> real estate dentists. And, and so, but I thought that's what it was supposed to be because I didn't know any better. So I immediately started doing that. I would argue that one of the reasons I ended up in drug treatment is because I tried to do that. And it's just definitely not sure. a good fit for me. So right. uh, so in some ways, the 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 bad habits that you can learn when you're new. Uh, I uh, goes along with the fact that when you buy a practice that has a certain um, culture in it, you're changing a culture that's that's ingrained in a practice is very difficult. Yes. And frankly, if you don't even know, like me, I didn't even know the culture needed to be changed. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so when I got my practice, I was it was the late 90s. I had a practice full of GM retirees that had what I would consider cherry dental insurance who are used to doing, you know, a couple crowns a year because their insurance had covered it 90%. They never shelled out, you know, they shelled out less than a hundred bucks for a mm-hmm. crown out of their own pocket. They always said yes to everything. And so I thought that's just what dentistry was, you know, like, <laughs> like it, it didn't end up staying that way. Right. Like right. this is, it's, you right. know, the, the struggle is real. And I, and, and anyone who's practiced in, in central Michigan at all in, in these GM practices knows that, there are a lot of dentists that made a lot of money off people that had what you know had fifteen to seventeen hundred dollars a year that they and and everything was covered at ninety percent. So getting people to do stuff wasn't very hard. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a full mouth full mouth rehab practice, but it was a practice where it was not. A, and the guy that I bought it from was a pachydonist. He'd rather go out and golf. You know, he Perfect. honestly, if the day was good, he was going to cancel the schedule and go golfing, and that was the way he was. He he'd throw an amalgam in there. He was always trying to save everyone dollars. So he had this, that's the patient base that I walked into. They had killer insurance. They would do stuff if you asked them, but he almost never asked them to do it. So there was mm-hmm. potential for me to really kill it in some ways. But then there were, there were other things where I realized, oh, by the way, you know, I didn't, even as a new dentist, I didn't have to sell them on the value of treatment very much. It was just, a, it was whether or not their insurance would cover it or not. So then mm-hmm. when things change with their insurance, all of a sudden, it's a whole different ball of wax. So it's funny that you you basically you know you can learn bad habits from other dentists or the way that you practice, but you can also you buy a practice, you do buy that culture, and if you don't understand what the culture is, you could be in for a shocking, you know, a rude awakening. Would you agree? Absolutely, because then when you buy that practice, like you said, that culture becomes it comes part and parcel with that practice, and you can shoot yourself in the foot very quickly if you try to upend the apple cart. And try yeah. to really rejigger that culture from day one. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, everything I've been advised to do is uh, basically is consistently uh, espousing to slowball any changes like that to the culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can inherit just 
a god-awful culture and not even know it because all the due diligence that you do on the practice is, is, is can, dealing yeah. with the, with the numbers. A, I mean, and, that is a really hard thing to know. You really can't. Yeah. In fact, if you're only a couple months in, you <laughs> I hate to say this, you probably don't really know the culture of your practice that well yet because you're still shoot you're you've still got people that are you know on recall new to you and stuff like it's, mm-hmm. you don't really even because because the story i mean you're it's hard to get a bead on what the culture is you're still kind right. of in that in that discovery phase at this point yeah that, that that's fair absolutely the good news I for mean, you is at least you know that you should be looking for it. i didn't even know i should be looking for it. i didn't know anything <laughs> about owning a practice at all and so but i look back and think to myself um i wish that there are times when i i think to myself i should just sell this practice and do a startup so I can create a culture that mm-hmm. I because changing this is so difficult. Change yes. whether that means changing the way the patients act or feel towards the dentist, the way the employees act. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably the hardest thing because the other thing is yes. you want to keep employees, especially if they're good employees. The uh, patients love them, all that stuff. But those employees are used to a certain way, and if that way isn't the way that you want to be, eventually, that's a struggle. Like there's some people can do it. Some people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for the change. Some people will drag their heels and you don't, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know that stuff. Yeah, it, it's hard. And it's really kind of the role of the dice as to how that manifests mm-hmm. after you buy a practice, because some, sometimes in a transition, I think employees are excited about a change. Other times they can, like you said, they can dig their heels in and then just uh, think that their woe be gone because their 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 fearless leader has has left them. Um, in our situation, the it's it's been a really receptive uh, change for the for the employees. They've been they've been very uh, understanding, helpful. Um, they're they're kind of excited about it, honestly, just because they're like, oh, this this is cool. He's got some new ideas for things. So. So far, so good. Knock on wood. I haven't lost anybody, and and even bigger than that is there's not anybody that I that I want to lose because mm-hmm. I know, That's a, big I know deal. a lot of time. Yeah, because you you can pretty quickly suss out who who's the drama queen, who's mm-hmm. the one that's calling the shots, who's the one that's got her minions uh, going about doing her will, and and I've seen that in practices that I've worked in where like there's a there's a troublemaker that by osmosis. Uh, negatively affects a lot of the other staff that would otherwise be good, and so like right now, I don't feel like I have one of those, and so I'm I'm hoping to to keep it that way. But I mean, that's that's the biggest change for me is just managing the people that, and like you alluded to, they don't teach you that in school at all. The, yeah, the the dentists that that would have had the ability that have the experience to tell you that they they don't mention that and i don't and again like we were talking about earlier i don't know what the the rationale is for for not uh really getting into that with 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 younger dentists but i guess they think that and eh, we'll figure it out they they uh those, those young guys will figure it out just like we did we had to figure it out no one told us so they can they can learn the hard way like we yeah, did yeah they didn't they didn't have they didn't have uh facebook they didn't have podcasts they didn't have that's right. one thing that's one thing i feel like i feel like younger dentists actually could potentially transition into practice owners a little bit more gracefully than the rest of us did because the information is definitely more accessible. In my opinion, it's more accessible. And frankly, a lot of it is free. (laughs) Like a lot of it is a lot of the information that you would get from some kind of coach or transition person or whatever, you can get a lot of that information without paying for it. It's not to say that you shouldn't use someone to help you, but, but like you can know what to, you can know what questions to ask and what sorts of things, but Without the same kind of help, which is which is pretty cool. I would say 
young people should be looking at ownership, and that might be one of the more hopeful things because the, the information is definitely out there. I yeah, mean, I can think of five podcasts offhand that literally are focused on uh, practice ownership, <laughs> like at yeah. least at least partially, if not completely. You know, like and and I mean, I if I were looking to buy a practice, I don't think I would miss an episode of that just because no. there's just so much information to be had. Yeah, well, and if if anything, the pendulum has swung the other way to where there's so much information out there that now that you have to really cipher decipher. Yeah. What what's good? What's bad? Yeah. What's what's indifferent? What's what's actually usable, actionable advice? And what's what's white noise? But I think most people that come out with those podcasts, they a lot of them do it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Some of them have ulterior motives, mm-hmm. obviously. But but most most people that do it, especially your your grassroots types like uh, George and Richard, mm-hmm. I mean they they do it for for the love of the of the nerdiness of it of, of crunching the numbers and and looking at these deals and george does i think richard does it richard does it completely selfishly because he's like i don't know what i when i'm ready to buy a practice i don't <laughs> yeah. i don't actually know what to do so i got to figure out what yeah. to do that's i mean he, he that's a he good point flat admitted it in the beginning of the podcast that's what he was doing where yes. george george i think just likes to do numbers from what i from when i met him that was that was clearly i met him at the second voice of dentistry that's that's how it came across to me like that's like that's what he does for fun on a Friday night, kind of thing. That's, yeah, he, he's he's a weirdo yeah. like that, but he'll he'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, too. no, he, I was gonna say there's no, nothing nothing surprising there. I am curious <laughs> about this now. When you bought your practice, mm-hmm. couple couple questions. Like, there's a lot of people that are going to be looking at practices. There's there's. I'm just going to sort of do a, a rapid fire questions. First off, yeah. uh, did the owner stay on to work at all? No. Okay. Was that a consideration or no? No, I think you have to look at the the big picture and say, uh, does the owner not staying compromise the quality of this practice purchase? And for me, in this case, with this practice, no, it didn't because I'm, I'm, it's my hometown. I, I know a lot of the people. The the transmission of the goodwill has been fairly straightforward just because a lot of these patients are my old teachers, my old coaches, my old acquaintances. I mean, it's it's if you were if you were moving across the country and you didn't know anyone in the place where you're going to be practicing it may be more of a consideration to try to negotiate some type of graduated protracted transition but but for me it was it was a turnkey thing because that's that's, that's what the owner awesome. wanted by the way that's yeah. awesome i think to myself i literally as you're saying that i'm like you know what i practice in saginaw which is uh, 26 miles from where i grew up i live right. where i grew up Yes. And I sometimes ask myself, why the hell aren't I practicing where I grew up? Like, there's right. there's a certain amount of goodwill just from having been a ki- you know a kid from oh, this yeah. town, it's and huge. I never really had a chance to take advantage of that in Saginaw. I, I was I was marginally local, you know what I mean? Like, yes. but not but not local to the point where you know uh, I was roaming the halls of the high school that half of my <laughs> my patients came. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't. Right. I and to, I actually with that in mind, I, I wasn't going to go there, but. To, Tell me about the advantages and disadvantages that you've run into with that. Well, the, it's mostly been advantages because, man, like I, I come in there and some of these patients that have been seeing the owner for thirty plus years. I mean, they they're they're very leery of of this this new guy coming in there. And the minute I tell them that, yeah, I'm a graduate from from Cabot High School. I'm a I played basketball. I, I, I did all this like that that immediately disarms them. Sure. And they and they immediately uh feel more at ease because I'm a local product and not just some hotshot, 
new dentist coming from from the big city or something like they realize okay i he he knows the same people that i know he goes to the same stores that i go to i mean there there's some kind of comfort that patients glean from sure. from having having those those commonalities any disadvantage and, you can think of not really. I mean, it, unless you were. I'll give you just some. I'll give you some a ter- right now. A terrible. If you have a terrible reputation from, from high school or something. <laughs> I hate like, running into people that I know in public. I hate that. Some people don't mind that because here's the thing. Yeah. I'm terrible with names. Right. I, like I, I'm great with faces, but mm-hmm. I like of my patients when I run into them in town, I I know yeah. who they are and I can mm-hmm. I can I can think of what I've done on them recently and that sort of thing, <laughs> and I can think of how many kids, but I'm. T- terrible with names and that is incredibly awkward for me because yes. it's almost always like my wife knows to introduce herself so that they'll say their name out loud so i can remember it i'm horrible yes. and this is yeah. the town this is the town you know uh 25 miles away and if i were local i'm the worst with that and that is that is awkward i don't think people necessarily hold that against you but that's mm-hmm. a, i don't love running into people that i know what is that? I think I'm I'm at heart a relatively antisocial person in some ways, right. which doesn't work well for dentistry, by the way. But uh, so that's the disadvantage. Like the disadvantage of being the local guy who's who's the local doc means you are going to constantly run into people who are patients. Yeah, and then you're going, hey, you. Yeah, or 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 worse <laughs> than this doesn't happen to me. Like I can't think of this at all. It is weird. You'll run into patients that have left your office too, and that's a oh, little yeah. that's a little awkward. And yeah. and what's really funny is a lot of times. When you're thinking, oh man, they left. They didn't like me. They were a lot of times. It it has much. They they don't remember it that way. It's so funny. I can, I can hardly say. Like I've run into um, classic thing. The grandparents used to go to come to me, and they're bringing their grandkids to the office, and uh, I never make it awkward for them. I'm whatever you know, whatever choices they made. I, I I. But like that's the when you're when you there's some advantages of working a few towns over because you're much less likely to run into people on a day to day basis. But then again, if you're okay with that. I think the advantages of being the local yokel is a that's a there's a ton of advantages there a ton of advantages there. Well, that's something that we've discussed, my wife and I, where where we're like, okay, do we want to live right smack dab in the middle of of the town, or is it cool to to live half an hour over? Because I mean, I, listening to your story, where you you have your commute and you you like your commute, um, th- there are other towns around where there's there's more to do, there's more restaurants amenities and we're, we're sort of sort of in the sticks where we're at right now so i mean i do i do like that idea of saying okay we're, we are going to keep a healthy amount of distance and we're not going to be right neck deep in all of the the city politics and 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 whatever else so i mean I, like you said there it's not just a completely black and white one's better one's worse because we we may yet make that move to where we're we're doing a 30 minute commute just because yeah, healthy distance never hurt anybody either. It's it, all these things are really worth weighing, weighing while you're, if, if at all possible, make these, <laughs> make these decisions after you kind of know what you're getting into. Like, mm-hmm. like I, we moved, I actually used to live quite a bit closer to the office. And so we moved mm-hmm. in 2004, moved to a, a bigger horse, like it was a smaller horse farm, it was a bigger horse farm and a lot further away. My commute was double that. And right. uh, arguably, it's the reason that I do podcasts now, like right. because I started out listening to podcasts because I had a bunch of time in the car that I had to burn, right? Like so, these things. It's funny how the decisions that you make will affect your future life, and and it's like I feel really like you have made some pretty great decisions because you knew the questions to ask. Like that's the thing. That's that's where I think podcasting and 
and social media and stuff can really be good for dentists and anyone. But because you knew the, you've asked all these great questions that I I never even knew that they should be asked. These are so this, is, this is huge. Well, it's, it's all it all comes down to the podcasting to me because uh, again I would never have had the exposure to it had I not gone to that meeting. So I mean, if you if you come about it on your own, come about it organically, then you're you're risking waiting years and years and years and years to find that right opportunity to yeah. have the right person talk to you at the right dental meeting, and, and so <sighs> you're leaving a lot up to chance. That's so true. All of that is completely true. This is so we're we're coming we're coming close to the end here. I, I would say what would be interesting is to talk to you in six months and then another six months and see how because mm-hmm. you're literally you're two months into it. Right. I don't I don't know that I could say that I think you're on a pink cloud. You really seem to understand what's going on. But it'd be interesting to see, okay, so what what has been a struggle since the last time we talked? I mean you can sort sure. of be but you from from your standpoint, a new dentist a couple years out, you love the idea that you're you're a practice owner. You're so glad you did oh, it. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean there's there's no way I could ever go back because there there's so many more things that are that are difficult there's so many there's so many more obligations but again it's the the pros outweigh the cons and and having that uh that that ability to call my own shots and and be in control and and make those decisions like you said even down to controlling the type of composite that you use mm-hmm. i mean there there's no way you could ever go back to working for the man again yeah. after 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 tasting that 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 freedom to do what you want definitely well dr alex sharp thank you so much for being on the show today this was cool it's it's a it was a cool kind of counterpoint in uh if you have any questions or comments for us why don't you hit me at alan at meadfamilydental.com or info at dentalhacks.com those are the emails that i get more often um and i can get those to alex and again alex thank you for being on the show alan thank you so much for having me All right, you guys, I haven't had any reviews on iTunes for a while, so go over on your podcast software and give us some reviews. Give us five stars. Give us some love. If you want to be part of the Facebook group, uh, just search in Facebook for the Allen Meat Experience. Uh, request an invite, and you have to have the, the password. The password is Premier. So uh, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you very much for listening.